When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Too Much Information is a production of iHeartRadio. everyone and welcome to Too Much Information, the show that brings you the secret history and little known facts behind your favorite music, movies, TV shows and more. We are your anatomically incorrect dolls of details, your Danish pop machines of minutia, your Barbie boys of bizarre trivia. Yes, there is truly nothing beyond our ken. See what I did there? Shut the f*** up. My name is oh Jordan Oh my Runtalk. god. Oh my god. Mm. Oh, you've made me so angry. God, I hate this song. God, I hate everything that this song represents. Um, continue. What's your name? Oh, I'm Alex Heigl. Sorry. And today, folks, the time has come. We knew it had to happen at some point this summer. Thanks for Greta Gerwig's film, We Cannot Avoid the Barbie Buzz Any Longer. Try as though Heigl might. <laughs> We are taking a look at a song that, to my surprise, isn't actually in the movie, which we'll get to over the course of this episode, but it's gotten swept along in the great pink tsunami of media hype. We are talking about Barbie Girl by Aqua, one of the most distinctive, memorable songs of the 90s. I, I don't know how to phrase it. I'll be honest. Maybe this is just my own bias, but I am hard pressed to name a song that did so well commercially that is so undeniably annoying. Does anyone genuinely like this song? I, I mean, tweet at us using the hashtag Barbie Blitz. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. I, I mean, just to me, it's what's a better hashtag? I can't think of one. Uh, no, that's good. That's good because I was trying to think of a weird Nazi thing. Yeah, no, I know yeah. the Blitz was as close as I was willing to get. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, to me, Barbie Girl is firmly in the novelty camp alongside Chipmunk songs and the Monster Mash. Even during my years as a wedding DJ, I would rarely or ever turn to this song. But I feel like it's unique in that it's a song that almost everybody seems to agree is bad or put another way. I think very few people listen to it for pleasure. Yet people 
still seem to have a tremendous amount of affection for it. And for my particular mid-millennial age group, which notice how I'm very tactfully avoiding saying middle age, uh, it, it evokes an innocent, relatively carefree time. But it was also a simpler time in the world, this pre-9-11, pre-social media, pre-pseudo-civil war that we're living through right now. So maybe people have good feelings for it just for the time that it came out in 1997. Uh, Heigl, I cannot imagine you have anything nice to say about this song, but because I'm a glutton for punishment, I'll ask anyway. What do you think of Barbie Girl? Oh my god. What a tremendous piece of shit. <laughs> my god. <laughs> you know, I don't advocate for, um, international nuclear war much, but we should bomb Denmark for this. <laughs> On the anniversary of Oppenheimer, whatever. <laughs> them. Oh my God. I hadn't listened to this song for so long. And then I finally heard it today because you made me do this. And it is as bad as I remembered it. That's impressive to me. There's things that I like about Eurodance. There's things that I like about dance music. I like a lot of like Detroit techno. I like a lot of stuff that's like abrasive and unpleasant. Baltimore club music. Stuff that's like charitably described as difficult for the ears. This, though, holy sh. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I I I detest Europop. I just don't. I don't get it. That actually surprises me. I could see you appreciating the song craft. No. Okay. Um, I like their, I like the weird period of Euro disco where they were all into really being evil, like Italo mm. disco. Uh, like I think Marotto? I said you, yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. that makes sense. Like yeah. Marotto. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like haunted roller rink. Yes. Music. Yeah. Okay. Precisely. Yeah. Just drum machines and echo and like minor key synths and. Italian uh, translated vocals that don't make any sense. I do love that, yeah. Yeah. Which is also uh, what I like about Europop in general. Yeah, but when you make it as something as lame and and uh, triumphant as Barbie, like, I, you know, here's my thing. Why do you need to celebrate Barbie? It's like making a pro Coca-Cola song. It's like, a satire. You, it's not. Uh, I guarantee you the message was lost. And I speak as one of the receivers. I, I, I guarantee you that message was lost on people. It's not, it, it didn't translate. People just got the catchiness of it. So I don't know. I, I prefer the sinisterness of Italo disco. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, God, I fucking hate this song. And I just don't respect the Danish. They're, they've, they peaked with Hamlet. And yeah, Hamlet didn't write that, you know. Yeah, what are they going to do to me, though? Are they going to cancel me? <laughs> what are they going to do? Cut off my supply of tinned fish? Don't they make those cookies in those, like, blue tins that everybody's grandma would put sewing yeah, materials well, well, what in? What do we do with them? Well, yeah, exactly. What do we do with them? We keep f***ing sewing materials in them. What do, I, what do I do with this song? You know, American techno, like Frankie Knuckles, like Chicago techno, like, all. there's this rich history of, like, American dance music that's really born of of disenfranchisement, like of of being like, oh well, we don't have the resources for like a live band, so we're just gonna loop the really danceable part of a drum track, or you know, we're gonna take like a we have a drum machine, but it's kind of so we're just gonna loop that and blow it out and like 
that's where American techno and American dance music comes from. It, and then 20 years later, you have this just lame perversion of it that's just like, yeah, we got those same samples. Uh, Barbie. That's our commentary on it. Like, how would you feel if I created Hamlet, girl? How would you feel if I brought in, I don't know, Max Martin, and I made a novelty hit that was called Hamlet Boy? I think in order for that to work, it would have to be an Americana song produced by, like, Rick Rubin. Uh, and then you would have to... That kind to... of rules. Okay, so what if we get Rick Rubin and we get... Um, who's the preeminent American? Jason Jack Isbell. White. Jason oh, no. Isbell yeah, yeah, and yeah. Jack White. Yes, exactly. Now we're on to a formula. We get Jason Isbell. We get Jack White. Uh, who's a drummer uh, today who would uh, really... It doesn't matter. Drummers are replaceable. <laughs> and we'd write a parodic, shitty version of Hamlet. And that's our novelty hit. And we it's put called... it in our own cultural milieu. Yeah, we take their icon and put it in our cultural milieu. That's how you do it's it. It's called Hamlet Boy. All right, great. Cancel the show. <laughs> Jordan, take us in. Well, from Barbie's surprisingly scandalous backstory in the German red light district, to Aqua's surprising fixation on Rick Astley, to the lengthy lawsuit between the band and the toy makers behind the doll, and hell, we also got a lengthy segment on pop music used for torture, appropriately enough. Here's everything you didn't know about Barbie Girl. The story of Barbie Girl begins in the land where all pop earworms originate, Scandinavia, or at least Denmark, which I'm told technically counts as Scandinavia, so please hold your angry letters. It begins with a collective of musicians and DJs who originally formed under the name Joy Speed. Lame. sounds vaguely obscene. The core of this group were Soren Rasted, which is kind of a very metal name, and Klaus Noreen, which is less metal, who got together in the late 80s when they were pop-obsessed teens bonding over Depeche Mode, Simple Minds, U2, and David Bowie. And much like the two lead writers for ABBA, Bjorn and Benny, these two future Aqua co-founders got their start in music by making the soundtrack for a Danish movie which sounds like a softcore porn. 1994's Naughty Frida... And the Fearless Spies. No. Shockingly, that is not a softcore porn. I've no. checked it out. It's actually a children's movie. In the Venn diagram of softcore porn or children's movies, very small overlap. But I guess well, how this, do they? How, Naughty how do Frida you, and the Fearless Spies. How do you? How does one get that gig, Jordan? They want a contest. <laughs> Which I just Scandinavia with their arts grants and their social safety nets and their competitions for scoring children's movies, <laughs> I guess. I, yeah, I never would have guessed. Um, but around the time when they were working on the soundtrack project, these two, Soren and Klaus, began working with a local DJ named Rene Diff. It's probably not how you pronounce it, but that's how it's spelled, who was a regular on the Danish club circuit. And this is interesting to me because this guy, Rene Diff, the DJ, told Rolling Stone for their epic oral history on Barbie Girl last year in 2022 that his all-time favorite artist will always be Rick Astley. I really, really love Rick Astley. And, you know, I've interviewed Rick Astley on several occasions, and I can confirm he's quite lovely. Uh, I've actually pitched a Never Gonna Give You Up episode of TMI to Heigl on many occasions back when we first conceived the show, and he steadfastly refused 
even after it would have been a great April Fool's Day thing. We publish it under a different name and people listen and all of a sudden we come on talking about Rick Astley and never going to give you up. It's a, it's a podcast version of Rick Rolling. It's great. For years he's been doing this, people. I'm 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 telling you. If enough people comment on Apple Podcast <laughs> reviews, if we get 5 people to ask for Rick Astley, <laughs> we still won't do it. I'm sorry. I won't do it. So I'm going to take this little opportunity to shoehorn in some of my favorite little-known facts about Rick Astley because I'll never get another chance again. Did you know, Heigl, whose head is literally in his hands right now, <laughs> that Rick Astley sang backup on Can You Feel the Love Tonight on the Lion King soundtrack? I think he was uncredited. It's my understanding that Rick Astley went into the studio to visit his friend Elton John, and Elton invited him to sing on it at the last minute, alongside mm. British pop star Gary Barlow of the band Take That, I believe, and also Kiki D, Elton John's mm. 70s duet partner on the hit Don't Go Breaking My Heart. There's an internet rumor here. Here, this will interest you. There's an internet rumor that Freddy Krueger actor Robert England was also one of the backing singers on Can You Feel the Love Tonight? But he really? debunked that. Yeah, he debunked that recently. He said some interview of like the Daily Mail or something. He was like, yeah, uh, I did a lot of voiceover work. I honestly can't remember all the things I've done, but I'm pretty sure I didn't do that. That'd Which be amazing. Kind of if they bummer. called him in, if they called him in, they were like, do the Freddy voice. And he's like, don't go breaking my heart tonight, bitch. <laughs> I think in the same interview, like the headline of it was something like, I look in the mirror and I scare myself or something like bitch. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 the 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 80s Freddy run is famous for introducing bitch into the slasher movie Parlance. I didn't like, know that. I didn't oh, know yeah. That. It starts with it starts with in uh, Dream Warriors. I think the um, third installment, there's a woman who wants to become an actress and he Freddy comes out of a TV and grabs her and he shoves her into the TV's head and he goes, welcome to prime time, bitch. <laughs> and that began the grand tradition of Freddie calling people bitch. Oh. So Aaron Paul on Breaking Bad probably owes yes. some residuals. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, you would have a... Can you feel the love tonight, bitch? Well, back to Rick Astley before we return <laughs> to Barbie Girl. <laughs> Uh, another fun fact about Rick Astley that I really love, uh, in a welcome return to our It Belongs in a Museum segment, Rick has revealed that his iconic trench coat from the Never Gonna Give You Up video was swiped, literally taken off his back by a bunch of teens as he was performing at an outdoor <laughs> gig in Northern Ireland in the late 80s. So somewhere out there is a vital piece of terrible music history, which brings us back to Barbie Girl. That's why I gotta love the Irish, man. They were just... <laughs> they don't care who you are. Off your back. In the <laughs> apparently mid-song. He was doing like some kind of BBC recording. Did you ever see The Commitments? No. Oh, man, dude, you would love The Commitments. That movie's great. Uh, it's about a bunch of Dubliners who uh, form a soul band. It's a great movie. You would love it. Because they yeah. do like... They, they're, they're doing like Motown covers and stuff. It's, it's a great film. Commitments. commitments. Man, you gotta check out the commitments. I gotta see that. That sounds yeah. incredible. I love how much people in the United Kingdom know their soul so much better yes. than Americans. Like Northern Soul, the whole that whole movement yeah. is so fascinating to me. And like the whole second career that those people to, have. Uh what is it? I, I think I saw um Eric uh Burton at one point say something and was incredibly condescending, but also kind of true, which was that the British rescued black american music from the dustbin of american history 
Which is not true when you actually look at the record sales of like soul and blues records and what they call race records in the States. But as far as pop music, like it yeah. is actually kind of true. Like they did the British loved soul and blues in a way that American white people didn't. And that's kind of how the, the quiet part loud about that is that that's how you kind of get the latter half of um, 20th century American pop music is British people who loved black American music. Really fascinating to me and also really kind of grim. Well, it's about to get even grimmer because we're going back to the Euro pop of Barbie Girl. <laughs> <laughs> because we're talking about the Danish. Yes, this future aqua DJ, Rene Diff, he made something of a name for himself in Denmark by rapping during his DJ sets. And, you know, I can't conjure up what Danish rapping sounds like. Um, I'm sure it's fantastic. This skill helped this guy get a job on a, this is great, helped this DJ get a job on a Norway to Denmark ferry. They had a DJ hired to play on the Norway to Denmark ferry. Which fulfills our large boat quotient for this episode, which is wonderful. We love uh, that. We do love that. For you. For me. While aboard this ferry, Rene Diff, the DJ, was in the audience while a shipboard game was being played, kind of like Wheel of Fortune. And while he was in the audience, he was struck by the Vanna White-style hostess of this game. And her name was Lene Nystrom, better known to us for our purposes as the future lead singer of Barbie Girl. And according to Lene, Rene sent several months, quote, flirting my pants off, and they dated for a few years before they ultimately split. And then she would go on and date fellow Aqua member Soren Rasted. So off the bat, you get a kind of a Fleetwood Mac situation, which would have no apparent impact on Aqua's artistic output. But I just think it's, I just think it's worth noting. You go do the Flight of the Concords impression. Oh, Fleetwood Mac made some of the best albums of the 70s. Rumors. No, it's all true. <laughs> uh, Nicely done. Uh, uh, no. No Danish person has ever spent any amount of time flirting their pants off. <laughs> I feel like they probably have a lot of sex in Denmark. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't have firm stances on many things. Well, maybe to keep warm. <laughs> Imagine, name one Danish person with sexual magnetism. Name one Danish person. The, the villain from Casino Royale, Mags, what's his name? Mads Mikkelsen? Yeah. Oh, Where's yeah. he from? It's a great question. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know a famous Dane. I think he might be Danish. Okay. Great. Wow. <laughs> Tremendous. He's a great actor. I love him. He is Mads a great Mikkelsen. actor. He um, cries blood on command. Yeah, but you he's can't also teach a great that. actor. Dude, have you ever seen uh, Another Round? He's tremendous in that movie. He was a professional dancer before he became an actor. He does like a full dance routine at the end of that movie that's incredible. He was also, um, he's also Hannibal. He's like, the NBC show Hannibal is incredible. Um, right, yes. Yeah. Oh, you love that show. I that love Hannibal. Yeah, episode. Brian Fuller. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, but I can't take them seriously sexually. Uh, that surprises me. They're very good looking. They are good looking, but they, they seem like um like large uh statues that you'd approach. Like there's no art of seduction involved. Like you just kind of um 
Like there's a form you fill out at part of yeah. the social social yeah. service. Yeah, 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 yeah. Someone very formally meets you in a lobby, and you kind of fill out several forms in triplicate, and then and you uh, use some hand sanitizer. Yep, and... yep, yeah. Uh, anyway, so you have Renee, the DJ, working with Soren <laughs> and Klaus, these two film soundtrack guys. Renee brings his new girlfriend, Lene. I'm gonna have a really hard time keeping those two names apart, and together they form a foursome that they called Joy Speed. And they were different in that they were a completely self-contained group. Klaus and Soren would do the production for the group, and Rene Diff would do the rapping, and Lene would perform the main vocals. And in 1995, they released their debut single, Itsy Bitsy Spider, which was a minor hit in Sweden, but not big enough, and they were dropped by their label and management. So that led them to start all over and change their name to Aqua, choosing the name from a poster scene in their dressing room. And their new songs were recorded with the very techno-friendly instrument known as the Roland JV-2080, which synthesized organic instruments and it helped give their music a new sound. And this eventually earned them a record deal with Universal Music Denmark. All of which leads us, of course, to really the only reason you want to hear about Aqua if you live in North America, Barbie Girl. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more Too Much Information in just a moment. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney Collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate available online saturday may 4th at jcp.com and in store thursday may 16th just in time for father's day limited time only jc penny make it count tell us about how they wrote barbie girl the idea for barbie girl came after the band attended an art exhibit on kitsch culture which tracks uh, speaking to Rolling Stone for the oral history the magazine did of the song, Soren said, I went to an art exhibition at a store in Copenhagen. They'd taken a bunch of Barbie dolls and made a planet out of them. It looked like a big round ball. 
It made me think of life in plastic. It's fantastic. End quotes. Begin quotes. I thought that was a great line. Then I wrote, come on, Barbie, let's go party. End quote. It's not bridge over troubled water, but you know. It'll do. Yeah, Serve the Americans their slop. <laughs> anyway. Barbie. We can't even repeat that word without paying royalties to Mattel. <laughs> She's a whole episode in and of herself. Yeah. Uh, but we have to do a quick sidebar. She was produced by Mattel Toy Manufacturers, co-founded in 1945 by Ruth Handler and her husband, Elliot, along with a family friend. According to PR-approved, a.k.a. highly sanitized corporate legend, Ruth Handler came up with the idea for the Barbie doll after watching her daughter, Barbara, cut paper dolls out of paper magazines and carefully choose clothing and accessories for them. Do you buy that? No. Good. All the other dolls in the market at the time were baby dolls, but Ruth realized that there was potential in a doll with adult features that would allow children to act out their dreams. And Ruth Handler felt like the only thing that these baby dolls prepared kids to be was a caregiver or mother. Barbie, supposedly, was created as a way to teach girls about the different careers they could have. Named after Ruth and Elliot's own daughter, Barbie debuted at the New York Toy Fair in March 1959 and quickly caught on, selling over 351,000 dolls that year at $3 a pop. Today, Barbie is the best-selling toy in the world. More than one billion dolls have been sold since 1959 in 150 different countries. Barbie has obviously met with her fair share of criticism over the years, especially as far as body positivity is concerned. She's faced scorn over her unrealistic proportions. It has been said that if Barbie were a real human, she would be forced to stand on all fours and wouldn't be able to lift her head. Well, all four members of the Danish garbage collective known as Aqua <laughs> wrote Barbie Girl together, presumably on break from brainstorming different ways to make Hamlet relevant in the 21st century. Soren and Klaus produced it with their friends Johnny Jam and Delgado, both of which sound like parody characters if SNL were dedicating an episode to Europop. The Roland JV-2080 synth, the instrument that figures so highly in the distinctive sound of the song, helped make Barbie Girl so memorable. Interestingly, for a pop song, Barbie Girl contains a lot of minor keys. The minor chords in this song were a last-minute change. As Soren told Rolling Stone, it was in major chords at first. He really wanted to change it to minor chords. And we started on a minor chord instead. I don't mean it to be too technical, but the change means a lot. Another distinctive element of the song is the high pitch of the song, which Lene had to hit for real. This was before autotune had caught on or was commercially uh, reliable, so she just had to bang it out at that IRL high tone. And reportedly, she was not happy about this, thinking she sounded ridiculous. She told Rolling Stone, I don't know how many headsets I smashed. I was <laughs> furious for months. And eventually she warmed to the grid of choice. It made the whole track magical, but it took me a long time to admit it. 
Barbie Girl was the third track on Aqua's debut album, Aquarium, released in April 1997. It was their first single released in the U.S. From the jump, the band knew they had something special on their hands, but the band had no idea how big it would be. Lene told Variety in 2022, something magical happened when Barbie Girl came out. The whole world exploded overnight. Our label sent it to Z100 New York, and the phones just lit up. This is where we smash cut to the cigar-chomping executive, a beloved figure in TMI <laughs> lore, going, Get me the Danish Barbie Girl, people! Is it actually Barbie? <laughs> is it actually Ken? I don't give a <laughs> sh**. Get him into the Z100 studios. Have him talk to Charlemagne <laughs> the Kid. Have him talk to the RZA and swap production techniques <laughs> on the Roland drum machine. Uh, Barbie Girl sold over 1.4 million copies in the U.S. and topped the U.K. charts for a month, became England's second bestseller of the year, behind only Candle in the Wind 1997. That's right. It took the death of a royal <laughs> to... Uh, Much like Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Great work, Jordan. You really earned your minuscule paycheck with that one. Um, that's right, folks. Barbie Girl came in second to the death of Princess Diana. That's the worst thing to happen that year. <laughs> uh, Barbie Girl peaked at number seven in the U.S. Point of pride to Aqua. As Lene noted to Rolling Stone, most of the Scandinavian groups that broke in America were from Sweden. Though AHA were from Norway. Not many came from Denmark. Uh, as you may notice, I'm doing a caricatured accent to make fun of them. <laughs> a reviewer from People Magazine at the time called it the year's best novelty record, a cartoonish anthem you'll need surgery to remove from your head. The song was certainly helped by the influx of teen-centric bubblegum pop that had begun to return to the charts in the form of Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, The Spice Girls, and shortly afterward, Britney Spears. But there was also a downside. That's right, because despite its success, people really, 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 really hated this song. That's right, Jordan. This brings us to a new feature on TMI that I hope will be a recurring segment. Musical torture sidebar. Yeah, it was hated to such a degree that I mistakenly believed that Barbie Girl was blasted during hostage situations as a form of psychological combat. Uh, I was wrong, but my research uncovered some interesting slash horrifying things about this phenomenon that I'd like to share with you now. Was that not true? Where did that come from? Because I remember hearing I just It well. just seems like the kind of song that, that would have been, but uh, to my knowledge, it wasn't. Uh, but there is a fairly long list of songs that have been blared to torture people. Uh, the U.S. has a long, not especially proud history of musical torture. In December 1989, when the United States invaded Panama, American soldiers tried to drive to pose dictator Manuel Noriega, who was an avowed opera fan, out of his hiding place in another embassy by blasting, among other things, Van Halen's Panama, pretty good there, as well as tracks by Styx, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA, and reportedly just full episodes of the Howard Stern Show. 
which I don't really get. Uh, the plug was pulled on this uh, psychological warfare with music after the Vatican complained. <laughs> and then, of course, we got to talk about the 1993 Waco standoff when the ATF blasted songs that included Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made For Walking, Alice Cooper tracks, and Christmas albums by Andy Williams and Mitch Miller, and also Buddhist chants. Uh, this became a fairly famous incident. The New York Times wrote about it in an article with the very memorable headline, It's got a good beat and you can surrender to it. <laughs> Swear. This must have been while the standoff was still occurring because it was written in a very flippant, lighthearted way, which seems to suggest that nobody had died. So it was pretty jarring to read that article now. Was this a um, South Park thing too, where they, they used Believe? That makes sense. I'm sure. Yeah, that sounds familiar. And yeah, the Waco thing was, I think, the first time when the whole, like, we're going to play music to somebody day and night at excruciating volumes over and over and over again was kind of the first time that that entered the popular consciousness, as far as I'm aware. But things really got ramped up during the war on terror in the early aughts. A BBC News report claimed that Enter Sandman by the American heavy metal band Metallica was used for sleep deprivation and to culturally offend Iraqi POWs. I've also read that Marilyn Manson's The Beautiful People and Nine Inch Nails' March of the Pigs were also used, both of which were particularly effective on those who lived in rural Afghanistan and had never been exposed to Western music. That's a hell of an introduction. My favorite quote about the time is that Lars Ulrich was supposedly quoted when they asked him about, like, what do you, how do you feel about uh, Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich? They asked him, like, how do you feel about Metallica music being used to torture people? And he was like, I don't know. I don't have control over what they play. Like, what do you want me to do? Ask them to play Venom? <laughs> yeah, there's a quote from uh, from James Hetfield that we'll get to in a minute. He was similarly uh, nonplussed. <laughs> uh, there's a quote from American Sergeant speaking to Newsweek saying, These people ooh, haven't Ugh. heard heavy metal. They can't take it. If you play it for 24 hours, your brain and body functions start to slide. Your train of thought slows down and your will is broken. That's when we come in and talk to them. Uh, they also blasted Britney Spears, the theme to Sesame Street, and also the theme to Barney and Friends on repeat, which that just sounds sadistic. The composer of the Barney theme, Bob Singleton, reportedly, quote, just laughed when he heard of the song's status as the, quote, most overused torture song on the CIA's mixtape. He elaborated, it seems so ludicrous that something totally innocuous for children could threaten the mental state of an adult. I would rate the annoyance factor to be about equal with hearing my neighbor's leaf blower. It can set my teeth on edge, but it won't break me down and make me confess to crimes against humanity. Wow. Uh, Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine was less uh, amused by the news that his music was being used to torture human beings. In protest, he would appear on stage frequently in 2006 in hoods and orange Guantanamo jumpsuits. And Trent Reznor was also horrified by this. He issued a statement on his blog. Remember blogs? Uh, it's difficult for me to imagine anything more profoundly insulting, demeaning, and enraging than discovering music you put your heart and soul into creating has been used for purposes of torture. If there are any legal options that can be realistically taken, they will be aggressively pursued with any potential monetary gains donated to human rights charities. Uh, as I said earlier, James Hetfield was a little less perturbed. 
He's very famously uh, pro-military, and in a radio interview in November 2004, he said he was, quote, proud that the military had used his music, even though he specified they hadn't asked his permission or paid him royalties. He added, if the Iraqis aren't used to freedom, then I'm glad to be part of their exposure. But he added, if I listened to a death metal band for 12 hours in a row, I'd go insane too. I'd tell you anything you wanted to know. Uh, hilariously, an article in The Guardian reported that the U.S. military may owe royalty payments to the artists whose works were being played to torture captives. Which Irving Azoff could get that out of him. <laughs> That's the most Metallica thing ever, is if like Metallica actually sues the U.S. government for unearned royalties because their music has been played in interrogation sessions. Yep. Oh, God. We live in hell. <laughs> At other times during the War on Terror, the U.S. used The Real Slim Shady by Eminem, F*** Your God by Decide. Decide! Uh, oh my God, what's wrong with you? Decide whips, dude. You aren't into, like, Florida death metal? Did you think I know? You no, I don't know who they are. They also played the Meow Mix theme <laughs> on repeat, the torture prisoners. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the, the best or worst part of this was that the Miamic song was employed immediately after a long spell of heavy metal in hopes that the shift in dynamics would destabilize the prisoner. Uh, in the case of Blasting Slim Shady, it would go on sometimes for 20 days nonstop. Another prisoner reported that We Are the Champions by Queen was played for 30 hours nonstop, which is at least five hours too many. Uh, a man named Mohammed al Katani, the alleged 20th hijacker of the 9-11 attack, was blasted with Christina Aguilera's Dirty, chosen specifically for its sexual overtones, which the government believed would make it difficult for him to observe strict Muslim practices. To this end, female military personnel would supposedly go shirtless during interrogations and give forced lap dances to Muslim inmates. Uh, psychologists have written that this specific musical torture works by eliminating the prisoner's ability to have a, quote, safe interior space by invading it with the sounds and cultural expressions of their captor, thus leaving prisoners nowhere to go to, quote, escape the pain. And that's why ultra-patriotic music like Neil Diamond's America or Don McLean's American Pie is often used during these torture sessions. That's what you did to me with Hotel I California. <laughs> And Don McLean's American Pie. And Don McLean's American Pie. And Margaritaville. And Margaritaville. And I'm doing it right now with Barbie Curl. Yeah. At least I get to eat burgers while you're doing it. <laughs> On the microphone. Uh, the government also apparently used David Gray's Babylon to torture <laughs> prisoners. Uh, due to the biblical connotations of the title, I thought that would be offensive to uh, to people of the Islamic faith. One German musicologist studying the effects of musical torture played the song once for a former Guantanamo inmate who immediately burst into uncontrollable sobs. He reportedly had been forced to listen to the song at volume so loud he genuinely feared his head would burst. Uh, other inmates were blasted with the Bee Gees Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. In one truly remarkable quote, a since-released prisoner is on the record saying that his captors, quote, cuffed me and put earphones on my head. They played hip-hop and rock music very loud. I remember they played Meatloaf and Aerosmith over and over. I hated that. This is what Jordan does to me. 
literally what Jordan does to me. I want to talk about John Carpenter movies and late era John Coltrane records. And Jordan is like, let's do Barbie Girl. We're doing and Taco do, Bell next week. Yeah, we're doing Taco Bell. And let's do Armageddon. And You loved Armageddon. I did. Love I thought Armageddon. you did. I did love Armageddon. Oh. And what we, what's the Arnold one we're going to do? Predator. Yeah. <sighs> a little bit of a preview for you, uh, TMI faithful. Yeah, that's going to be that going to be fun. Until you pull the rug out from under me and you're like, "Surprise, we're doing David Gray's Babylon." <laughs> <laughs> What's up with David Gray? How's he doing? I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, in my mind, I've replaced his face with um, Dave Matthews. You know, similar white men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The song right. even kind of sounds like Dave Matthews. Jordan, psychologically, what does Barbie Girl do to us? Take us home. He says uh, halfway through the outline, and <laughs> we have so much left to go. Take us home, Jordan. Uh, it's worth noting that music doesn't necessarily have to be bad or even played nonstop to be torturous, just <laughs> at irregular intervals to disrupt regular sleep. One ex-prisoner at Guantanamo is quoted as saying, Sometimes it would stop at 3 a.m. or so, but your ability to sleep was already disturbed. You lose the ability to have a routine sleep. The other thing they did was play the music at various times. The random aspect of when it would start or end was frustrating. It makes you tired, agitated, upset. On top of all the other situations of not knowing when you're going to be released, interrogated, or moved to those other cells. Many people suffered from various kinds of anxiety attacks. People hyperventilate, lose control of their senses, hit their bottle of water against the cell, against other people, trying to scrape their hands against the concertina wire, sometimes breaking down and crying. One U.S. Navy veteran who was doing undercover work in Iraq did time in an unofficial prison camp and was tortured with song. Uh, thankfully, he'd been specifically trained for this eventuality and put his background to good use. He started to talk to himself, telling himself jokes, trying to keep a rational train of thought going, believing that if he let the music completely, quote, mask his thoughts, he would never recover his sanity. He added that the experience, quote, sort of removes you from you. You can no longer formulate your own thoughts when you're in an environment like that. And as a result, he emerged damaged but not broken, in his words. Another released Guantanamo prisoner explained in an interview, I can bear being beaten up. It's not a problem. Once you accept that you're going to go into the interrogation room and be beaten up, it's fine. You can prepare yourself mentally. But when you're being psychologically tortured, you can't. It makes you feel like you're going mad. Another prisoner said that this psychological torture was worse than the physical torture he received, which included having his penis regularly cut with razor blades. He said, imagine you're given a choice, lose your sight or lose your mind. Um, so that's all horrifying, but on a slightly lighter note as we get off this topic, onto, as you'll recall, Barbie Girl. No, no. Mm? No. We're getting back to this. Um, how can I torture you? Is it Slayer? Late no, era John Coltrane? What could I do to you? I, I think, because uh, you, you're such a sweet boy. And you love such, you're so pure. You love pop music and you love um, the Baroque influence of pop music. And, and you love uh, composition. What could I do that would really break you? Like free, I'm, like a really aggressive free jazz, or like really abrasive, like Norwegian black metal. Can I get some mayhem? Or um, who's the guy that murdered 
his bandmate. I think that was oh. uh, Euronymous. Can I get some really like Vragvirknes uh, uh, Norwegian black metal or or like really heinous free jazz? Yeah, like like uh, like like late Coltrane or like uh, Albert Eiler. Albert Eiler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What what do you, what do you got? What what could I'm pretty good at disappearing into myself though. Yeah. So well, I, well I you, say that now, though... you say that now. You say that now. But on hour 26. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, don't answer um, any knocks at your door anytime <laughs> soon. Because I do know where you live. And and, and you do is, have a key. I have a key. Yeah. And and this is a, a project for iHeart. Yeah, they've signed out. Your bosses have signed up <laughs> on this. Uh, so, you know, when you wake up handcuffed to a corpse and um, <laughs> interstellar space... By the, John, <laughs> by the John Coltrane Quartet is playing. Know that that's me. It's cheaper than laying me off. <laughs> the classic New York media answer. <laughs> I would rather be tortured than eventually laid off. All right, where? Let's take this home. Uh, you got like seven more pages going. Come on, Jordan, take us home. That's gonna be my new cue, by the way. When we have like seventeen more pages to Jordan, take us home. Canadian police reportedly use Nickelback's music to punish and or torture DUI suspects. But alas, in all of my research, I have not uncovered Aqua's Barbie girl being used in such a way. Um, so now I guess everyone can quit their bitching about having to hear this song every now and again because uh, there's a lot worse things that can be done with music. Poor Lini, the lead singer of Aqua, is quoted as saying, We weren't prepared for all the negative reactions to Barbie Girl. You know in your heart what your intentions were, and reading all the negative reviews was a bit tough to swallow. More <laughs> than just the cloying sing-song nature of the chorus, the song got attention for its uh, suggestive lyrics, which many took to be an insult to feminism. To wit, you can brush my hair, undress me everywhere... I'm a blonde bimbo girl in a fantasy world. Dress me up. Make it tight. I'm your dolly. Make me walk. Make me talk. Do whatever you please. I can act like a star. I can beg on my knees. Kiss me here. Touch me there. Hanky panky. I don't remember that. Come jump in, bimbo friend. Let us do it again. I'm reading this like Gore Vidal. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be better if you were reading like Charlton Heston, reading the iced tea. They like... <laughs> Die, 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 pig, die. <laughs> or the Ten Commandments. Yeah, also good. Uh, the Ken voice in Barbie Girl starts the song by asking if Barbie wants to go for a ride. Also, what the f*** is up with that Ken voice? Why do they fucking say that was the Ken voice? That sounds like uh, like, like, like uh, B-Squad Tom Waits. He sounds like a predator. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's been a major complaint against this song, is that the Ken voice uh, sounds like a sexual predator. Yes, that's true. Over the years, many pundits and critics have read a great deal into the lyrics of this song. Was it a social comment? Was it satire? Or was it just merely problematic? The band have taken great delight in blanking all journalists who try to hold their feet to the fire and get an explanation as to their meaning behind this song. Much like Britney Spears would in the famous Chuck Klosterman profile when he's asked her about the sexual undertones of Hit Me Baby One More Time <laughs> and she just completely blanks him on it. Uh, Soren told Variety in 2022, we had the line, come on, Barbie, let's go party, and thought it was great. There were a lot of headlines about plastic surgery at that time, which influenced us, but we really just wanted to make a fun song. 
We didn't put much thought into it. The hook just worked really, really well. However, he gave what appears to be a totally different explanation to Rolling Stone that same year, 2022. Barbie Girl was, of course, a song about plastic surgeries. Other parts of the song were just sexual. When we had the lawsuit from Mattel, which we'll talk about later, the lawyers made us change the story. They said, please don't say it's anything sexual. But we were not really trying to make a statement. We were just trying to write a fun song. And Lana said something similar to Rolling Stone, linking it to the era of Baywatch and, quote, taking the piss out of Pamela Anderson. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's pop music. If you want to see the layers to it, there's all the layers you want. We wanted to take the piss out of that kind of perfect girl. That was the main thing we discussed. We didn't say it very often, but that was the main thing behind the song. Choosing Barbie is so half-assed, man. I mean, like... Oh my god, there's so many other icons of American culture you could choose. Choose, uh, what do you, just like choosing John Wayne, you know? Pick a better topic. Pick like, um... What would you have done? Chuck Berry. That guy liked to watch people piss. Uh, James (sighs) Brown, you know? Elvis. Elvis is, wow, I was there an Elvis boy. Elvis is a ripe for parody from the european perspective um i kind of feel like that's an easy one that's yeah, sort of it, what Wayne is level. it is it is but we but we got barbie girl and we got the most half-assed barbie girl come on barbie let's go party that means nothing to me come on barbie let's extend our credit come on barbie let's um go into debt to achieve the lifestyle that our parents told us we could afford come on barbie <laughs> Let's go to college, liberal arts. Let's get a liberal arts degree because our parents told us that that would be the path to success. Come on, Barbie. Uh, uh, Capitalism is a failed experiment. All of these would have been really valid options for a pop song. And and instead they... Come on, Barbie. Let's sign up for Twitter Blue. (laughs) Yes. These are all valid options. Jordan, take us home. One of the people who hated Barbie Girl was the guy who ultimately directed the cartoonish fantasy video for the track, Peter Pedersen. <laughs> I, 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 I need to check and make sure that I did. That's not a typo. <laughs> that that can't be his name. Peter Pedersen is his name. Yes. As Peter told Rolling Stone for their oral history that we keep citing, I was just starting out as a director and it was hard. The night before I got the request to do the Barbie Girl video, I was doing some grainy black and white art stuff in the basement. (laughs) While we were setting up, Barbie Girl came on the radio. I remember saying angrily, what the hell is this? The next day I got a call asking if I wanted to do a video for it. I went cheerfully, yes, of course. Uh, To prep, he watched a bunch of old Hanna-Barbera cartoons like the Flintstones and Scooby-Doo to capture that bright Technicolor aesthetic, which would mimic the cartoonish feel of the song. And Pedersen also took notes on Spike Jones's video for Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. He said, I love those crime movies and exploitation movies that they were referencing. It was an inspiration since it had the Beastie Boys playing characters. That was a good reference for me to say, if we can go this way and have a kind of irony, we can go a long way. He held a brainstorming session with the band where he asked all the critical questions. What does Barbie do? What kind of props does she have? And the answer was, of course, well, she has a house, a car, a horse, a hairdryer, a telephone, a dog. 
And they storyboarded from there, with the ultimate premise being summed up as, Barbie does a lot of things, and it ends in a party. <laughs> That's the logline for the video. The video was filmed in just two days in a warehouse in Copenhagen. Despite the quick turnaround, there was some drama when Linne arrived on the set and discovered that she was expected to dye her hair blonde to portray the Barbie character. She said, I don't get angry very often, but you can only stretch me so far. I had my own kind of opinion about that. I didn't want to look like Barbie. That's against the whole point of the song. I came into the dressing room and the stylists were there. So we had a long, hard argument. Universal came in, the record company. The director came in and I just stood my ground. So Pedersen went back to the storyboards and colored all the shots of Lenny's blonde hair black. But he still wanted Barbie and Ken to make an appearance. So he called two friends who he thought looked the part. And according to band myth, the rich myth of Aqua, the Barbie and Ken actors met on the set that day and wound up getting married and having kids. Uh, apparently, that's not quite the case. They actually met while working at a cafe a few years earlier, but I still think it's cute that the Barbie and Ken characters from the Barbie Girl video are now married. Or at least they were. Reflecting Peter Penderson's dim view of the song, he also said that he didn't have high hopes for the video. And he said he vividly remembered the day when someone came running into his office shouting, The video's on MTV! And as he told Rolling Stone, his response was, Really? I didn't understand it at that time, and I still don't understand it. As you meditate on that, we'll be right back with more Too Much Information after these messages. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix 
hidden errors. So you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Aqua, the band, not the color, tried to blunt any backlash to their song Barbie Girl by including the line in their uh, liner notes. In the liner notes, yeah. The liner notes that said, The song Barbie Girl is a social comment and was not created or approved by the makers of The Doll. A very, you know, derogatory way to It's a very dismissive. Yeah, Yeah. How dare they refer to Mattel that way? Uh, this was not enough to soothe the raging tempers of Mattel, who launched legal action six months after the song's release, kicking off a battle that would drag on until 2002, five years after Barbie Girl came out. Funnily enough, uh, Aqua is not even the first entity to be sued over Barbie. Uh, Todd Haynes, famously the director of... Uh, I'm Not There, the Bob Dylan I'm Not movie? There, the Bob Dylan film. and A really Carol. good Velvet Underground talk. The Velvet Underground Dog, well, Velvet Underground Dog, and also the Velvet Underground uh, dramatization, uh, Velvet Goldmine. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was sued by Mattel for his use of the doll in the 1987 film Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, which reenacted the life and struggles of the titular character, Karen Carpenter of the Carpenters, and her battle with anorexia nervosa using, you guessed it, Barbie dolls. So, they also sued the Danish. <laughs> the toy manufacturer filed 11 claims against MCA Records, Aqua's American record label, claiming that the song had violated copyrights and trademarks, even infringing on what they referred to in the suit as the color, quote-unquote, Barbie pink. You're a Laura Heigl. How can you, can you copyright a color? No. Good. Thank no, you. No, because colors have hex codes. You know, there's a oh, whole thing about... Right. Um, what do they call uh there's like a, a phrase for white people online that they use like a 6yt or something it's like the photoshop hex code for like absolute white uh i didn't know that yeah anyway uh mattel filed suit against mca claiming that the song barbie girl had violated copyrights and trademarks they also claimed the song tarnished barbie's image by sexualizing her specifically by referring to her as a blonde bimbo. MCA's lawyers, meanwhile, went on the offensive by basically questioning the doll's character and history, at least in terms of as Mattel had provided it. In other words, they subjected an inanimate doll to brutal character assassination. Lawyers! (laughs) Yeah. In the Rolling Stone story, the MCA lawyer is quoted as saying, my view was reinforced when I learned about Barbie's background. Pause. For a pull quote. Barbie began her life as a German doll known as Lily. And Lily was a <laughs> plaything for adult men. Brackets. Essentially a 3D pinup. Brackets closed. So her background was not pristine. This is all the quote. It's a continuing quote. It also became very clear that Barbie had been represented in books and other media. 
even in recordings prior to Barbie Girl, as representing a certain type of person. She became an icon standing for a certain type of person. That led to the major defenses in the case, which were essentially First Amendment cases. End quote. MCA responded by filing a defamation counterclaim against them, uh, claiming that Mattel's mind was in the gutter and that they added their own meanings into the song's lyrics. With their lawyer continuing, quote, we hired literary experts, record industry experts, marketing experts, and came up with all sorts of material that was more critical of Barbie and a lot more sexual, frankly, than Barbie Girl. There was no doubt that for many, many years, even people who didn't buy Barbie dolls were aware that Barbie was either viewed as a feminist or as a bimbo. That was an indisputable fact. Also, trademark names have been used in songs for many years. Think of Janis Joplin's Mercedes-Benz, Paul Simon's Kodachrome, Bruce Springsteen's Cadillac Ranch. At one point, Mattel argued that they could have called the song Party Girl. <laughs> However, Party Girl obviously does not convey the same message as Barbie Girl. The lawsuit dragged on for years and ultimately went to the United States Court of Appeals, comma, which circuit? Ninth Circuit. Ninth Circuit. Judge Alec Kaczynski ruled in favor of MCA, staying, uh, staying that the song was protected as free speech under the First Amendment, basically ruling that it was a parody and therefore didn't violate any copyright laws. He also threw out a defamation lawsuit. Aqua's record company filed against Mattel, ending his ruling with a line, the parties are advised to chill. I don't have a lot of respect for the U.S. judiciary infrastructure, but I do have that line. Good for you. It's got it's to gotta be from the Bay Area. Yeah, good for you, Judge Kaczynski. The case was dismissed. Mattel tried to take it all the way to the Supreme Court, but their petition was denied. Meanwhile, the band's response to all of this was essentially Danish bewilderment. The national brand, along with Tinned Fish and Melancholy. <laughs> Rene Deef, the DJ, told Rolling Stone that his first thought was, Wow, the biggest toy company in the world is going after the little band from Denmark? Accents mine. <laughs> Lene said something similar. I thought it was hilarious, to be honest. I have to say, only in America. They didn't yeah. sue us. They sued our label. For a long time, we couldn't talk about it. If we were interviewed, we couldn't speak about it. There were a lot of hassles around us, but it was also hilarious. And it was a free commercial on both sides, for Mattel and for us. Hmm. Parentheses closed. Aqua followed up Aquarium in 2000 with Aquarius, which no one cared about. It sold well around the world, but peaked at just number 82 in America. They took a break in 2001 that lasted until 2008, seven years. Uh, they released their third album called Something, Megalomania, I'm just now told, in 2011. During this time, one of those Danish people, Soren, I don't care, married Lene, I also don't care. And they had two kids, who cares? But since they have separated after 16 years, that's sad. I wish their children grew up with two parents. Quote, we're the best of friends. One of them told Rolling Stone, they still live in the same apartment building in units next to each other. Lene, quote, my boyfriend is Soren's studio technician. 
we go out to dinner with Soren and his girlfriend. It's just a big, modern, happy family. Renee and Sorden are my two best friends. To which Soren said, I can imagine. It looks really weird from the outside, but it feels good from the inside. Wow. Oh. That is an out-of-context quote for the ages. Thank you, Soren. Aside from all the lawsuits, the song may have impacted Mattel's Barbie in a material way. It is interesting to note that since late 1997, a few months after the song peaked on the American charts, Mattel announced they are changing Barbie's body type for just the third time in her history, giving her a bigger waist, slimmer hips, and B-cup breasts. I'm told. I'm told. Ironically, seven years later in 2009, Mattel was looking to juice sales for a new product, comma, Barbie Fashionistas. Jordan, what is Barbie Fashionistas? Let me kick it to you. Uh, it's a new doll that boasted a whopping 12 points of movement. Wow. Making it more flexible than any Barbie doll in history. Well, they turned to Barbie Girl for the song in a commercial. Yeah, they took some of the more scandalous lyrics and they gave them a Kids Bop style rewrite. So they had lines like, you can be a star no matter who you are. And I'm a girl in my world full of fashion and fun. But yeah, because this doll was this big selling point was that it had all these points of movement, they incorporated a dance into the commercial called The Barbie by choreographer Jaquel Knight, who was famous for working on Beyonce's single ladies video the year before in 2008. Jordan, what does this remind you of? Uh, it reminds me of a listicle I did way back when I was at VH1. Uh, the most inappropriate kids bop songs ever. <laughs> Uh, which was, I mean, it's kind of amazing. First of all, there are a zillion of those kids' Bob CDs. It's kind of like the, now that's what I call music volume, like 486. It's the same deal for kids' Bob. Uh, they did a version of Christina Aguilera's Come On Over, which is essentially a booty call song. Uh, there's also Kanye West's Heartless, J-Lo's I'm Real, and Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball, plus the emotional devastation of Adele's Someone Like You, Nicki Minaj's Anaconda, with the lyrics altered to being about big smarts instead of big butts, but there's still the whole anaconda metaphor, which is troubling. Uh, there's kids singing Leona Lewis's Bleeding Love with lines like, you cut me open and I keep bleeding, I keep, keep bleeding, I believe left unaltered. Uh, Evanescence's Bring Me to Life is included with the line, Save me from the nothing I've become left intact, sung by little kids. Uh, they also did My Immortal by Evanescence, too. Uh, the opening line of Kesha's TikTok was changed to brush my teeth when I have to pack instead of with a bottle of Jack. Uh, Paparazzi by Lady Gaga was included, which I guess doesn't sound that weird until you realize that the entire song is about stalking. Uh, Cake by the Ocean was done by Kids Bop, which I guess you probably get a pass because there's a Jonas Brother on there. And Closer by the Chainsmokers and Halsey. And that Uncle Cracker song, Follow Me, is also done by Kids Bop. So that's all weird. Follow me and everything is alright. That one? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Anyway, once again, back to Barbie Girl. By including the song in a Mattel commercial, you would expect that the toy makers in Aqua have buried the hatchet. But you would be wrong. In April 2022, Aqua's management confirmed to Variety that the song wouldn't appear in the upcoming Barbie movie, directed by Greta Gerwig. 
Although the spokesperson declined to say why, it's believed to be a result of the tense relationship between the band and Mattel, who are co-producing the film. Uh, Lene, for one, is fine with their song not being in the upcoming Barbie movie. She told Variety in a 25th anniversary piece about the song that using it in the film would be like, quote, cheese on cheese. In other words, two on the nose. That's a great expression. I totally understand why they didn't use it, but it's going to bring us a lot of attention no matter what, she said. Soren also joked, we should say we turned it down. Ryan Gosling is not good enough. <laughs> However, the soundtrack features the Nicki Minaj joint Barbie World, which promptly samples Barbie. That's such a gimme. Nicki Minaj's fans are called Barbies. It's, it makes perfect sense. Great. But thank God, that's not the only 21st century revamp of Barbie Girl in the midst of all this film-related Barbie mania. In early June 2023, Aqua released the first ever remix of Barbie Girl on which they enlisted the talents of DJ Tiesto. You know, with the umlauts. That is hilarious to me that in June of 2023, they were like, who's in the zeitgeist? I don't know, DJ Tiesto from 10 years ago. What did he even do? I don't remember. I don't know. The remix with of the umlauts. Darude's Sandstorm. Incredible. <laughs> 10 years at least oh my god jordan take us home apparently tiesto's daughter inspired the remake because she loves the original song and also we can't forget other 21st century tracks that tip their kangle hat to barbie girl in 2014 Ludacris nodded to the song with party girls featuring wiz khalifa germine and cashmere cat and in 2018, Ava Max transformed the song into an anthem about consent with Not Your Barbie Girl, on which she sings, You can't touch me there. You can't touch my body unless I say so. Ain't your Barbie. No. All this to say, Barbie Girl's legacy looms large. This is especially the case on lists of bad songs. <laughs> When the readers of Rolling Stone were asked to pick the worst song of the 90s back in 2011, the honor went to Barbie Girl, vaulting it above the likes of I'm Too Sexy, Achy Breaky Heart, Mbop, Mmm, and Nookie. What was that last one? Nookie. No, one more time. <laughs> Nookie. I'm getting a little feedback from your mic. Can you, can you just uh, <laughs> maybe try it without the, uh, the plosive? Blender Magazine. Rated no, one more time. Rated Barbie Girl as the 33rd worst song ever in its 2004 article, Run For Your Life, It's the 50 Worst Songs Ever, in a section entitled, Scandinavian Pedopop Alert, <laughs> Irk. God, <laughs> I missed turn of the century print media. Yeah, seriously. What yeah. is that? <laughs> They suggested that, quote, perhaps the gambit sounded acceptable in helium-huffing singer Lene Lindstrom's native Norwegian, but that, in English, it's just plain wrong. Racist? Mm. Or true? Oh. They labeled rapper Rene Diff's Beso Profundo Come On Barbie, Let's Go Party as the worst part of the song. I'm inclined mm. to agree. And even Lene herself admits that listening to Barbie Girl can be a challenge. She told Rolling Stone, I can totally understand people getting pissed at it. It can be super annoying. It sticks like glue. And that's true. In February 2022, the video surpassed a billion views on YouTube, an achievement reached only by heavy hitters like Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody 
and Guns N' Roses November Rain. So, you know, suck it. Oh, thank God we're at the end of this fucking. <laughs> well, let's give the final word to Aqua's <laughs> resident DJ, Renee Diff, the man who first met the lead singer of Barbie Girl on a cruise ship, or I guess a ferry, I should say, fell in love and invited her into his band, only to split up soon after. Wait, is that actually be- what happened? I wasn't paying attention for any of this. Holy sh**. Did they meet on a cruise ship? No, they met on a ferry. They met on a Denmark to Norway oh, ferry. that's so lame. And then Why they, is it not surprising for- you made all these f***ing nerds met on a boat? You love boats? No, I this is why boats. you pitched this. This is why you made me do this sh**. It's because it was about a big boat. A bunch of Scandinavian nerds on a big boat. That's why you pitched this. And I almost got away with it, too. Ah, I have a word for you meddling kids. It's midnight <laughs> where Jordan is. And he made me get through a whole episode that I tried to disrupt constantly. And um, he'll pay for it, too, because in it editing. was in editing. Uh, in the piece from Rolling Stone, Rene Diff explained, the message is that it's okay to be the person you are and look the way you look and be confident in that. You don't necessarily have to have plastic surgeries to be a better person. All these metaphors in the song were taboo to talk about, but we came out with a tongue-in-cheek way to present our song. It's a pop song, but it's also a song about how it's okay to be who you are, love who you are, and be yourself. Thank you for listening. This has been Too Much Information. I'm Alex Heigl. And I'm Jordan Runtog. We'll catch you next time. Too Much Information was a production of iHeartRadio. The show's executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The show's supervising producer is Michael Alder June. The show was researched, written, and hosted by Jordan Runtog and Alex Heigl. With original music by Seth Applebaum and the Ghost Funk Orchestra. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.